Grace and peace to you from God our Father, who was and who is and who is to come, and our Lord Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, and his Holy Spirit, who comes to us now to bring this word of hope and peace and truth to your ears, that which the world can neither give nor understand. Amen. My kingdom is not of this world, Jesus tells Pilate, and clearly it is not. It must be something else entirely, some otherworldly kingdom, because nobody's fighting to keep him from being handed over to death. It's quite the opposite, actually. Jesus is fighting the whole world's sin in order to give himself to take it away. He has seen to it that his life is being handed over as a gift to sinners, those who want him dead. This isn't how kingdoms of the world are built and maintained and grow. For everyone watching Jesus' trial and passion and cross and death, this seems to be the sad end of a king who lost his way a king that is deposed, whose power has been taken away, forcibly removed, as a king not victorious, but conquered. And in this way, it's terribly out of place for us to celebrate today, and more than a little morbid, it feels. It's like hanging a sign that says, welcome home on the front of a prison as people are coming. Or perhaps like a ballerina that's dancing to the sound of roaring engines in the middle of a NASCAR track. Or like the Vikings winning games in January. It just doesn't happen. It's not part, it's not part of the world that we live in. And when things like this happen, it just doesn't make sense to us. And therefore it's scary and more than a little troubling. And yet, this is why God has brought us here today to celebrate Christ, our King. He's not like another king. Kings, queens, and princes and princesses are not put on trial. They're the ones who decide trials. They decide the fate of others. Rulers do not hand themselves over to other powers. Instead, they send all of their servants out in order to protect their reign. They use their armies to protect their rule. Jesus was supposed to restore the kingdom of Israel. But now they are putting him on trial, getting ready to throw him out with the rest of the wasted junk. He will not save himself even. How can we put our trust in him to save others? What does he have left even? Looks like nothing. Nothing except, of course, his dying word telling undeserving sinners that their kingdom in Christ has arrived. They were all looking for great things from him. The support base was there. He was going to be their chosen king. They were going to lift him up and make a big change. 
The cheers even went up when he entered into Jerusalem. You remember that, right? But it all changed seemingly very quickly. It seems he didn't have the guts to play the game of politics the way it needed to be played. He kept seeking out the lowly instead, going to the children and the poor and eating in the homes of sinners, those who couldn't help him make the change they needed. If just Jesus could have leveraged his popularity to make inroads with all the bigwigs, the chief priests, the Pharisees, and perhaps even with Pilate, the Roman government governor, then perhaps all of this ugliness could have been avoided. Jesus could have raised his own army, perhaps. He could have been a power player. But he wouldn't even let his disciples hold up a sword to protect him. Instead, he insisted that he was going to suffer and die and be put on trial by the world and making ridiculous statements like, today, you will be with me in paradise and your sin is forgiven even as you kill me. How could we not ridicule such an absurd failure of course, you realize that kings and queens and princes and, uh, and other high and lofty titles are given to those who are successful. Governors and presidents and other rulers get their titles and authority because they are winners of elections and wars, not abject losers and failures. They know how to gain a power base and to rule wisely so that they never get deposed, keeping everyone just happy and docile enough. The best they can do in the world is the greatest good for the greatest number, which always means leaving out the lowly and poor. To do so, they rule with power and might, not with weakness. And for good reason, they protect their people with armies and treaties they speak for the nation, which exists by the monarch's benevolence. Or so it seems, at least. But we see kings and empires topple. In fact, there is quite a history of kings claiming to be divine and immortal, to rule with the power of God. And who can argue? They seem to have life and death at their hand. Their subjects live and die according to their commands. The queen says, go to war, and you go to war. The king says, you stay home, and therefore you get to keep your life and your family and your livelihood as a gift given from the throne. The powers that demand you swear your undying loyalty And then you are given your place in the kingdom. But in Jesus Christ, God is doing that kingly work, giving you a place and protection and belonging that the world simply doesn't understand. He's seeking out the lost. He's gathering up a flock. He's standing at the ready, not to demand your loyalty, 
to show his faithfulness and to give his life for the lowly, those who have no power to give back to him. Jesus is not running for office. He's not trying to win the people's loyalty or garner your vote. His authority doesn't come from you. His idea of paradise is not the utopian ideal of easy living in a carefree world that the world uses to trap us. Rather, paradise is, in Jesus' eyes, is not about the easy life, but it is about him giving his life to those he chooses. Not where servants heed your beck and call, but where you hear nothing but his kind and gracious word. It's not a campaign slogan or even a rallying cry to a greater cause. It is merely his true, unbreakable promise that God has come to find you, to care for you, to protect you at all cost to himself. Now this is the point where I'm supposed to tell you how much better it is to have Jesus than your favorite political ruler and he's waiting for you to make your commitment to him because Jesus is so much better you can cast your vote for him and then you'll be part of his kingdom. Pull the lever, make your mark, check Jesus' box on this Christ the King Sunday because it isn't, isn't it quite generous that God gives us a day like this to celebrate. But again, he's not asking for your assent. He's not looking for your vote. He isn't making a campaign promise with me as his campaign manager making the final push. He isn't hoping that you will change your mind this time and finally elect him as king of your heart. He doesn't need you to make him king of the world. He created it all. He has been chosen by God. His authority is above all of that. Didn't you hear what his mission is? It's to seek the lost, to testify to the truth, to give his life for you. He has come for those who do not choose him. He is the ruler of sinners and scumbags. And he's dying simply for you to hear his decree his declaration from the throne, his cross, with the crown of thorns upon his head. Today, you are with me in paradise. The kingdom is handed over to you by him handing over himself. He is our king, which means that all you have is belonging to him. You are his subject, and he takes all that you have, like any other king, but all that you have for him is your sin and death, and he takes it away from you, and in exchange, he gives you all of his kingly riches, forgiveness, peace, and it is true that he is faithful always to his word. And these are the divine gifts that he gives, that he gives to you. And of course, they are not of this world. Amen.